You are now listening to the March 16th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have the attributes of God, walking our talk, and grace upon grace. First, let's begin with the attributes of God. This program will examine how we can learn about who God is, His character and His nature, by discovering His attributes. Hello everyone, this is Susan Holtgrew, your host for our program series, The Attributes of God. Today, we will be studying the truth of God. God is truth, just as God is love. In our culture today, it seems as if people have this idea that whatever is true for you may not be true for me. So, you believe what you believe, and I'll believe what I believe. Have you met people who have said that to you? According to Dr. Tony Evans in his book, Victory and Spiritual Warfare, he writes, Truth, at its core, is God's view of a matter. Truth includes God's original intent, making it the absolute objective standard by which reality is measured. Truth is also predetermined by God. Truth is the standard to which all things must conform, because truth is reality in its original form. Truth occurs 201 times in 188 verses of the New American Standard Bible. Whether talking about truth as an attribute of God's, or of man speaking in truth, or not in truth, David uses the word frequently in his psalms, such as in Psalm 25, verse 5, where he writes, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. And in Psalm 31, verse 5, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. Isaiah and Jeremiah speak a lot about truth in their writings as well. For example, in Isaiah chapter 65, The Lord God is speaking about blessing his servants, the faithful remnant, and in verse 16 he says, Because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth, and he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hidden from my sight. And in Jeremiah's lament for the godlessness of Jerusalem, In chapter 5, verse 3, he cries out, O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You have smitten them, but they have not weakened. You have consumed them, but they have refused to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. In the New Testament, John starts out in chapter 1, speaking of the deity of Jesus, and in verse 14, he writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In chapter 8, verse 32, John writes again, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, 
and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus stated clearly in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus did not say, He is a truth. He is the truth. And because of this, His message to us is truth. God is truth. Jesus is God. Jesus is truth. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus prays to the Father, and in verse 17, regarding the disciples in the world, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As Christians, God sanctifies us in truth through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 26, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Paul speaks a lot about truth, and in Ephesians chapter 6, he writes about putting on the armor of God, and says in part of verse 14, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Of all the items to put on or take up, Paul lists truth first. Dr. Tony Evans writes, A Roman soldier's belt was a useful tool, a place where some of his other armor could hang. He could also reach down and pick up part of his tunic that was draped near his feet and tuck it into this belt, and it also produced stability by holding things in place. What Paul is telling us is that the belt of truth is designed to stabilize things by keeping them in their proper order. Learning and growing in God's truth is the foundation or the stabilizer for everything else, for righteousness, for peace, for faith, for being secure in your salvation, and also in using the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Finally, Dr. Evans writes, Knowing God and His Word is the only way to know how to function with the belt of truth, because only God can define what is entirely true. In closing, God is truth. Truth is the reality of God's original intent. By studying His Word and asking for wisdom and guidance from Him, we can live in God's reality, the reality of God's truth. I want to finish our time together with Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Until next time, God bless you and goodbye.
earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How
Coming up next is the podcast series, Walking Our Talk. We will be studying the book, Learning How to Trust Again, by Dr. Ed Delf and Alan and Polly Heller. Through true life stories and God's Word, you will learn how to regain your emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being, how to rebuild broken relationships, and you will learn five keys to regaining your trust. Now let's hear from Alan and Polly Heller and Dr. Ed Delf and begin our study on how we can learn how to trust God and others. Welcome to Walking Our Talk with Alan Heller. I'm Dustin Daniels. Last week on the podcast, we heard an amazing story, a childhood story from Polly of where a a time where trust was broken. And we talked about how do we recover from these painful events, these circumstances, and how do we forgive these people that have broken your trust? And today with this last podcast, as we wrap up the series on learning how to trust, we're going to discuss the importance and the weight of our own words, especially to ourselves. We're also going to look at why we must deal with our past to move into a healthy present. And then we're going to look at how do we break the judgments? How do we break these vows that we have cast over ourselves? All this material that we're discussing today comes from a book titled Learning How to Trust. Alan and Polly Heller, along with Dr. Ed Delf, are authors of this book. And the podcast is simply an in-depth conversation so that you can apply these principles to your own life. Let's get started with today's podcast of Walking Our Talk. Well, today, guys, we're going to wrap up this conversation on trust, and we're going to talk about something that maybe is subconscious for us. A lot of the times is uh, when we when we say things to ourselves, maybe we don't understand the the weight, you know, that, that carries, but there's this idea that you've got in the book here with making a judgment or a vow. And I I love the table that you got set up. It's kind of a worksheet and you've got three columns here. And one says incident. The second column is judgment. And the third column is vow. So in the first column, you've got the incident, like what, what, what happened here? So for example, a cat jumps on, on a hot stove And the judgment for the cat is, hey, that's hot, (laughs) and I don't like it. And then the vow is, I'm never going to jump on that stove again, right? The cat learned its lesson. Uh, Bringing that to ourselves, we could say uh, the incident would be when when someone emotionally manipulates. Well, I'm going to make that judgment so I could say, you know, Lisa's father uh, emotionally manipulates me. Well, men always try to manipulate women. That would be the, the judgment there. And then the vow is, well, you know what? I'm not going to be manipulated from this point forward. I'm not going to trust men. So as we kind of go through that process, what is the weightiness? Do we, how often do we do this, Alan? How important is it for us to stop? Mm. Well, I think that's one of the issues that all of us have is the ability to reflect and hear God speak to us instead of the, some of the vows, lies, judgments that we keep speaking to ourselves. And in the book, we give three steps. You know, none of this is that easy. 
that it's just one, two, three, and you know, in three minutes we're done. Um, all of these things are in the process of our lives, but we need some grips or some places to hold on to, sort of like scaling. Uh, I saw a video recently of this guy who climbed El Capitan. I mean, just crazy stuff where he's holding by his fingernails uh, without any thing to catch him and he's going up this sheer face of a cliff and for some of us that's how it feels in life that we we're going up without anything to catch us and so we we give these three steps to ask the holy spirit you know to help me recall the incidents or the critical losses uh where i couldn't trust and then secondly to recall that painful memory and what I find is many people can recall a memory in their intellect, but they don't feel the emotion of the situation, and they don't do that because it hurts too much. I don't want to go back there. And what I encourage people to do is if you can get in touch with where you were as that eight-year-old and feel what you felt, then in your soul, uh, in your spirit, you're healed. <laughs> but in your soul... There are scars. And just like if you put nails in a piece of wood, I can take the nail out, but there's still an indentation in the wood. And in our soul, there are scars that are still in us that we need to work through. And uh, so go back there with the Lord and allow him to show you how to even emotionally let go of that. And then recall how you felt in that incident what did you conclude about it? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. There are times people can do this. We can do this on our own. There are other times where you might need a skillful uh, pastor, prayer intercessor, somebody who uh, is skilled at helping you deal with that painful memory from the past and identify the vow that you made or the judgment so that you can speak the truth again to yourself. And so it could happen. I mean, there are people that are, when I meet with them, they're just getting in touch with something that they've never, they haven't thought about for 20 years. It's, and it's overwhelming, you know. It's, how often have you heard this, Alan? So I remember saying this as maybe a teenager. I said this to myself, and I was talking to my brother a couple months back, and he said, which really surprised me, by the way, he said the same exact thing. We mm. both made this, we made this judgment and this vow, not even knowing that we both did it, but it was this. Neither one of us did not want to be like our father growing up. How mm -hmm. often have you heard that? Uh, a gazillion times? I've said it myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I hear me say it. <laughs> and what... The only thing I know that can change that. If we keep meditating on what we don't want to be, we've said this over and over mm -hmm. again throughout the podcast, yep. yeah. we will be like what we keep saying we don't want to be. So it's so important for me to keep thinking, uh, meditating on the truth, and, and also I tell people being around people that look like what it is that I'm trying to tell myself. Mm -hmm. In other words, if I'm around somebody with good character, loves his family, doesn't blow up at his kids, that's, it's going to give me a better visual than the visual I had growing up. So 
this process can take place many times in a short period of time, or maybe there's just one big thing that I say to people, if the ark is sinking, throw off the elephant, because he's the heaviest thing going around here. So maybe I can get a little breath if I throw off the biggest thing, and maybe some of those little things. What I've found in my experience in talking with people is, if you can get rid of the big things, sometimes many of the little things don't even bother you anymore because there's um, something, a transaction that takes place that frees you up. You know, uh, Alan, it's so true. It's, I use the illustration, same type of idea with the log jam. Mm-hmm. Here you have a river and one tr- big tree falls in and it plugs the you know, it plugs the shores, and then all the other small logs line up behind it. Mm. What I've seen with people, they love to deal with the small logs, mm. but not the big log. Mm. And the truth is, if you go after the big log, all the other, I always tell people, you don't have a lot of problems. You don't have many problems. You have one problem that's creating a lot of other problems. Yeah. So many times that's true. It's not true in every case, but in most cases. And so, you know, if you can go after that that one thing, I get a kick out of the, the old song when we were growing up a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, uh, was that song, you know, what do you get when you fall in love? You get enough, enough germs to catch pneumonia. Then when you do, he'll never phone you, you know. And I mean, this girl is leaking as she, she's singing this. And she obviously what happened? She was in a relationship. The relationship broke up. And then, so that was the incident, and then she makes this uh, uh, vow, at I'll least for today. I'll never fall in love again. Yeah, well, she says, I'll never fall in love until tomorrow. Ah. I think, uh, that concerns me because you didn't learn. Okay? Yeah. But, but in any event, it's a clever way to end the song. But, but the truth is, so here's this incident. They break up, and then she's not going to trust in this guy, and then she's not going to trust in all men. I'll never fall in love again. I mean, that's a Gary, can you imagine making that vow? Now, remember, vows set on fire the course of your life. And so that's why it's so careful the way we're speaking. Be, you know, um, be careful how you are talking to yourself because you're listening. And every time that gal sings this, she's listening. I'll never fall in love. And she becomes a fulfilled prophecy. She, she creates her own destiny and then becomes a fulfillment of that prophecy. And that's a problem. So maybe you will fall again. I hope somebody out there, if you said that, I'll never fall in love or I'll never get hurt again or I'll I'll never do this again or that. I hope that, you know what, maybe um, you can. And maybe that's not a good thing. But this time, we need to do it not with passionate fire, but let's do it with intelligent fire. Hmm. Let's do it with intelligent trust, not just a blind trust, but intelligent trust. And that's what Jesus had with his disciples, intelligent trust. He didn't expect them to be perfect, but he trusted enough in them that no matter what they went through, he was for them, and they were going to ultimately end up strong, not wrong. And so maybe that's you out there. I'll never fall in love again. I'll never trust in a pastor again. How many people have had pastors who've let them down, who mm-hmm. they started off in that, that first stage, you know, when everything was great and attraction and openness, and then you start seeing things, and, and then there's a, a conflict, you know, and then you leave rather than come around to the mature level. And that's, that's understanding what this church is, although not everything's the way I agree with it. Here's what it is. Now, I've got to make a decision. Can I live with this, this business, this job, not just church, you know? Right. I say that because I'm former Working pastor. Yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm a, I pastor pastors now, but uh, which is even harder than pastoring people. <laughs> but but see, it's coming around to that that thing. Rather than leaving the relationship, let's come around and see if we can get back up to that mature love. Maybe it's not with that person. That's maybe they. Mm-hmm. Maybe you shouldn't marry them. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe God was trying to protect you from your own right. self. Right. But he has somebody better for you. Well, I think the operative word is mature. You know, what makes us mature, usually it's a bunch of bad mistakes. That's right. And, and the key is learning from those things so we can go to the next level. Uh, we've said this before, but I think it, it, uh, it's good to say it again. It's attributed to Frank Outlaw. Watch your thoughts, for they'll become words. Watch your words, for they will become actions. Watch your actions. For they will become habits, and watch your habits, for they will become character. Watch your character, for it will become your destiny. That's right in the book, isn't it? (laughs) It is. You can get that quote. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to chew on there. And uh, we need to, there was a book called Telling Yourself the Truth and uh, by Bacchus. And these folks did a study, and they, they spent a lot of time talking what are people saying to themselves? What are they doing uh, in terms of their self-talk? And all of us are talking to ourselves. The question is, what are we saying? <laughs> and we need to be saying things that reflect, uh, as Philippians says, what is good, what is pure, what is lovely, what is worthy of praise. Think on those things, not the advertisers that are making you so frustrated with the fact that you don't look pretty. You don't have the right card. You don't. It's all based on what you don't have. And yet God says, you have everything pertaining to life and godliness. Making a, a judgment and making a vow is like letting somebody live rent-free inside your head. Mm-hmm. Think about that. They're just living rent-free, living off the land. And I encourage you um, to not do that. And, mm-hmm. and it's, that's easily said, much harder done. Mm-hmm. But it starts with awareness. It starts, everything starts, every change starts with becoming, getting truth with light, an mm-hmm. aha, an mm-hmm. epiphany. And we hope that some of what we're saying here is an epiphany to you mm-hmm. all because that's where it starts. I'm not saying it's where it finishes. But it's the process. Once you get that aha, then you can start making those steps to that. And we have them outlined in the book and everything. But, but uh, to me, it's the epiphany. It's the there is hope. There is a God. Mm. <laughs> he and lives, you can trust him. And you can trust him. And let's go explore and see what the future holds. You know, Let's go to a space called God. Mm. That's good. So it's been a joy to be with you guys as we kind of wrap things up here. What of our what's the last thoughts that you want to share uh, with folks as they've been taking this journey with us? Well, for me, I think um, the most important thing for me is just that Proverbs three five through seven. Uh, trust in the Lord. It's the Lord that we need to trust in as we deal with our vows, judgments, generalizations, as we deal with those. Uh, lingering events from the past that cause us to have difficult present and future, that we would trust in the Lord with all our heart. So it's inclusive. It's talking about my whole heart. And um, then with my whole heart, lean not on your own understanding. I, I had a 
professor who used to say, it doesn't say don't use it, it just says don't lean on it. And so if we're leaning on our own understanding to try and understand our past, our present, and even where we're going, we are going to be futilely um, frustrated. But um, trust in the Lord, don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways, not just some of them. It reminds me of the, the uh, little proverb where the guy, he, he lets him in, uh, my Christ's heart, my home, and the, the guy lets him into the house, and he says, just don't go in that closet. And we can't do that. We, we can't let God, we can't keep him from being in the closets of our life because that's probably the very closet that will set us free. Uh, so don't lean on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. He will. He will. He not might. He, he might sort of. He will direct your path. And I think that is going to help you get a long way in your life of learning how to trust God. Well, I think one of the important messages, conclusions uh, of the book is that we need to go through a process of forgiveness and reconciliation and that this isn't a once and done kind of thing. We walk through forgiveness and reconciliation over and over again in our lives. Sometimes it's a daily thing that something new will come up and we realize I haven't been trusting God with this, or I've fallen back into an old habit pattern. And God is a God of love. Ed mentioned before, love goes both ways. It flows back and forth, and God is always there for us. He doesn't say, well, we worked through this yesterday. We don't need to do this again today. Yes, you know, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy— are always there, always surrounding us. He's always welcoming us back into his presence as we release the things that have blocked our fellowship with him. That's great, Polly. It's so true, too. And uh, just kind of following up on that idea, and this goes back to the lady who's singing All Never Fall in Love Again, or (laughs) whoever wrote that song, the poor lady, I shouldn't attribute it to her who sang it. But the quote is this, if you never heal from what hurts you, you will bleed on people who didn't cut you. And that's the problem of that vow, is that when you make that vow, I'll never, here you are, completely innocent people, are you with me? They didn't cut you, that, you know, that, and here you're making them that person that hurt you, you're making them that. And so you will bleed on people who didn't cut you. And I, I just want to encourage that. What, in other words, as we hold these things, it affects others too. It affects ourselves, but guess what? We get to share it with others too. And many times people go into a new marriage, let's say, and they've never dealt with these issues. Well, guess what? Then, then your new partner gets to uh, <laughs> share those issues too. Oh boy, what fun. But listen, don't feel any condemnation for that because there's just all kinds of hope. Now, let me say this. The devil, you, you, and this I think is a good ministry here. The devil knows your name but calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin but calls you by your name. Wow. Yeah. There's always a new start in God. God. God just wants to take it from right now. He, he's, he's not concerned, as concerned about your past as you are. Mm. He just wants you to take him from where you are right now. 
We mm-hmm. see that all through the Bible. He took people from where they were. The past didn't matter. Let's, the past is called the past because it's past. There's mm-hmm. no future to living in the past. That's right. Okay. Can't be but, looking through the rearview mirror. Yeah, you can't drive a race looking in the rearview mirror. So uh, these are, I think, something that, that might be a blessing to you. And, and going back to that lady in, in that song, um, you know what people are saying, too, when you are projecting that onto others and so forth, what's in you? Um, what they're saying in their mind is, please cancel my subscription to your issues. <laughs> and and that's the problem. Here, the thing you need and what might be a ministry, here means it could be the greatest future ever. But because of your issues, the future kind of cancels itself. That's right. Because it's, it's saying, please cancel my subscription. So it's like the woman with the issue of blood in the Bible. The issue just kept coming back. And all these issues, all these issues that were kept coming out of, out of her. And forgive me, the, the women, but we all have issues. But um, uh, it's what we do with those issues that, that really counts. And so that's why we wrote this book, is so that um, you could, we could get you to your purpose, call, vision, and destiny. Mm-hmm. That's great. So the book itself, obviously, it's uh, learning how to trust. You've listened to the podcast. You've stayed with us now for hours upon hours upon hours. Of, uh, we really have, have dived into this issue of trust. And um, I would say, Alan, that that's a pretty good start, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. you guys have put this application guide in the very back of the book. And really, whether we want to admit it or not, that's where the heavy lifting is done. That's where really this that's stuff, right. mm-hmm. it, it allows us to build spiritual muscle. It allows us to go through this kind of stuff and go, this is where I get an opportunity to trust God right yeah. here and, and to really put some flesh and bones on these concepts that we've talked about. So we want to encourage you to go through the application guide itself. And then lastly, we, we want to pray. And you guys have put a great prayer inside the book itself, Polly. Yes, we have. We really want you to take your issues as you've gone through this book and issues have surfaced in your life and you've become aware of incidents and judgments and values that you've made, you you might want to ask a friend to help walk you through this process. And if you really want to change, uh, pray something like this. Father, my Lord and my God, I recognize how I have lost my ability to trust you due to the effects of these situations that I have recorded, as well as the work of the liar. In the name of Jesus, I now demolish the idol of self-reliance. I renounce any trust I have put in myself, and from this day forward, I will trust Jesus. Forgive me, Father, for making judgments about you. Forgive me for not trusting you. Forgive me for confining you to the terms I have set up for our relationship. Help me to know you by your word and to begin to trust you again. Open my eyes that I might see the big picture. Help me to know you as you desire to be known. Just as you have forgiven me of my sins, I forgive those who have hurt me and who you might want to list those people by name. I renounce each of these vows that the Holy Spirit has shown me. Father, I ask you to break the power they have held over my life. From this day forward, I will trust you, Father, and I will trust your grace at work in the lives of others. Thank you for helping me to trust you again. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to Walking Our Talk with Alan Heller. You can visit Dr. Ed Delf at nationstrategy.com. And for Alan and Polly Heller, head over to walkandtalk.org. On the website, you'll be able to order the Learning How to Trust book, along with the newly revised application guide. You can also schedule a personal coaching session, a one-on-one counseling session, and register for one of Alan's upcoming webinars. Now, just like the wise man who built his house upon the rock, and he was a doer of the word, we pray that you walk the walk of faith, trusting that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know Oh, I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance when I
71% of teens have admitted to hiding what they do online from their parents. This is just one of the many, many reasons I believe it's so important to protect all of our devices with covenant eyes. I've been using it for years, and if you do not have protection on all of your uh, computers and cell phones and tablets, let me encourage you. Visit CovenantEyes.com today. Receive a 30-day free trial when you use my name, Dustin Daniels, with no spaces in that promo box. Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor David Platt of Radical. Today's topic is Servant of Sinners. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David. Now, if you have a Bible, and I hope you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me Mark chapter 10. I want to share that with you now to give you a heads up. Some of you are very much advanced planners, so if you want to be a part of that, I want to let you know so you can plan accordingly. We're actually not going to start that plan until the first week in February. What I want to do is spend some time in January preparing us to read through the story of Scripture together. And then, Lord willing, in February, we'll start to walk together through a journey where we read the Bible. Just uh, We'll have six days a week, so you've got a day of catch-up in there. And even like for those of you who are like, oh, I just can't miss a day. like It's going to be okay if you miss a day along the way. But we're going to read through the Bible, selected chapters chronologically. I think many Christians don't know how the Bible fits together. Like, where does this book, how does that tie to this book, and what's the story? So I want us to see the story over a process of 10 months from February to November. And then every Sunday, we'll look at one of the passages from that week's reading. And my hope is that you might see, some of you for the first time, the big picture story of the Bible and to see how this story has the power to change your story on a day-by-day basis. So that's just a heads up to what's coming. But today, I have incredible news to share with you from Mark chapter 10 that I believe most followers of Jesus don't realize. And I know many people are coming in here today with all kinds of challenges and struggles in your life and marriage and family and work, and I have news that I believe will help you encourage you deeply today. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I have incredible news to share with you that will show you how different Christianity is than every other religion in the world, how wonderfully different it is. So let's dive right in. Here's how I want to set things up. So if Advent refers to the coming of Jesus, then today I want to ask the question, why did Jesus come? So let's start in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, and then we're going to camp out in verse 45, what I believe is one of the most breathtaking verses in all the Bible, but we need to see the context that leads up to it. So start with me in verse 35, Mark 10. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, him being Jesus, and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. With the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. 
Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there it is. Underline it, star it, highlight it, memorize it. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Give his life as a ransom for many. So if you're taking notes in the back of your bulletin there, here's five reasons why Jesus came according to this one verse. Five reasons, every one of which is awesome. And I want to phrase these personally to you because I want you, wherever you're sitting right now, to feel the weight and the wonder of why Jesus came in your life. So first reason, Jesus came to suffer like you. Jesus came to suffer like you. So Jesus uses a title for himself here in verse 45. He calls himself the son of man, a title that emphasizes how Jesus is indeed a man, a fully human person like us. Now, that seems pretty simple, but I think we miss this. I think we have a tendency in our minds to think about Jesus as so different from us, which obviously he is in one sense. Jesus is God who has existed before time. That's clear in this verse. The Son of Man came. I mean, who of us decided to come to the world? Which one of us was sitting around one day and said, I think we'll come into the world now? No one did. We don't talk like this because we didn't exist before we entered the world. But Jesus did because Jesus is God and he decided to come. He came as a man, as a human like us. And I just don't think we fully realize this. And this is so important on a deeper level. Think about it. Last week we talked about physical hurt, emotional hurt, and relational hurt that we experience in this world. And I just want to remind us that Jesus came to this world and he experienced all of those things like us. I would actually argue he experienced greater hurt than even we do. And this is so important because while we rightfully think of Jesus as different from us in a sense, that can easily cause us to think that Jesus is distant from us in our lives when he is not. Are you hurting today? Jesus hurt. Are you broken? Jesus was broken. Are you tired? Jesus was tired. Do you ever feel let down? Jesus was let down. Do you grieve? Jesus grieved. Do you ever cry out because you feel like you just can't take it anymore? Jesus was full of sorrows, crying out to God in desperation. Whatever physical, emotional, relational hurt you have, hear this good news. You do not have God today who is distant from your pain. You have a God who is familiar with your pain. He's familiar with your hurt and your sorrow and your suffering. That's why Jesus came to suffer like us. We could stop here and this would be glorious, but it gets better. Second reason Jesus came. He came to suffer like you and Jesus came to die instead of you. Jesus came to die instead of you. The Son of Man came to give his life 
Verse 45. That's an interesting phrase when you think about it. When Jesus is talking about giving his life, he's talking about his death. So what Jesus is saying here is that he came to die. He was born to die. In fact, turn back with me just a couple chapters real quick. Look at Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Just to give some more context, the first half of Mark's gospel is spent on following Jesus's ministry in Galilee. But then a transition takes place in chapter 8, and from chapter 8 to 10, Jesus travels to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. Now I want you to hear what he says. Not once, not twice, but three times on his way to Jerusalem. Look at Mark 8:31. He began to teach them, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. So he says it here, then turn to the next chapter, chapter nine, verse 30. What he says there, they went on from there, passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know for his teaching, he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Now turn to chapter 10. We're looking today, look at what Jesus said right before the passage we just read. Look in verse 32. Chapter 10, verse 32, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid and taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So Jesus knew what was going on here. He knew he was going to his death. And that was the very reason he came in the first place. This is very different. Think about it. For us, death is an unavoidable outcome that we dread, even fear. But for Jesus, death was his unshakable purpose in coming in the first place. It's what he was anticipating. And don't just think about the difference between Jesus and us. Think about the difference between Jesus here and every other religious leader in world history. For other religious leaders, their death was the tragic end of their story. Like the focus in every other world religion is on a leader's life and teachings, whoever it may be, whether it's Muhammad who died at 62, Confucius at 72, the Buddha dying at 80, Moses dying at 120 years old, all of these leaders' deaths mark the end of their mission. Not so with Jesus. It's the total opposite. Jesus was constantly talking about his death, anticipating his death, foretelling his death in such a way that the central symbol of Christianity for the last 2,000 years has been what? A cross, right? A place of death. And the cross, that's the point, is why he came. Jesus came to die instead of us. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you look at the word, the end of Mark 10, 45, it says for. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. That word for, in the original language of the New Testament, literally means instead of or in place of. So put this together with what we talked about last week. Why do we die? We die because of sin, because of sin in our lives and the world around us. Because of sin, we are separated from God and we will all experience eventual physical death. And if we die separated from God, we will experience eternal spiritual death. But Jesus came to change that. So hear this incredible news, especially if you are not a follower of Jesus today. We have all sinned against God. We're all separated from God. And if we die separated from God, we will spend eternity separated from God. 
But the good news of the Bible is that Jesus came to die for you instead of you. You deserve to experience eternal spiritual death, but Jesus came to pay the price of death for you. You say, well, how can a man pay the price of eternal spiritual death? And that's the beauty of who Jesus is. He is fully man, which means he's able to stand in our place like us. We've already talked about that. And he's fully God, which means he's able to bear divine infinite judgment. Jesus is the perfect substitute for sinners, which means that when you put your faith in him and what he did on the cross for you, instead of you, you can be saved from eternal death. Jesus came, die instead of you. We're only two reasons in. Keep going. Third reason, Jesus came to set you free from slavery to sin. He came to give his life as a ransom, Mark 10, 45 says. So that word ransom, lutron, refers to a payment given to release someone from slavery, to buy their freedom. So here's the picture. All of us are slaves to sin. Every one of us is prone to sin, which means we're prone to choose our ways over God's ways. It's like we can't help it. We're slaves to ourselves in that sense, wanting what we want over what God wants. Even when we realize that what God wants for us is better, and even when sin can prove so costly in our lives, we are slaves to sin and its effects. But Jesus came to change that. Jesus came to set us free from that. To set us free from slavery to sin. But do you realize this? I think many of us don't. I talk with so many self-professing Christians who basically see themselves functionally as slaves to sin. Who see themselves as slaves to anger, slaves to worry, slaves to lust and desire for all kinds of things in this world apart from God. Slaves to selfishness and on and on and on. And without question, as long as we're in this world, we will struggle with sin. But here's the good news of the Bible. Like Jesus didn't just die so you could be forgiven of sin. Jesus died so you could be free from sin. Free from the power of sin to live the life God has created you to live. This is why Jesus came to conquer sin in his life, conquer sin in his death, to conquer sin in his resurrection from the grave, and then to put the power of his spirit inside of you right now. Jesus came to set you free from slavery to sin. So the next time the devil tells you just can't overcome this sin or that temptation, realize that is a lie. We just studied it in 1 John 4, 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Jesus came to set you free from slavery to sin. It is not your master anymore. There's three reasons. Four. Just keeps getting better. We haven't even gotten to the one I am most excited about getting to. That's number five. First, the fourth reason Jesus came, according to Mark 10, 45. Jesus came to show you how to love This is why it's so important to read the context of a verse, not just to read a verse kind of by itself. Because in this passage, Jesus is saying to his disciples who are like seeking greatness. He says, you want to be great? And here's how you become great. You become a servant of others. Here's how you become first. You become last. You lay down your life for others. And this is a revolutionary, strong, and needed word, particularly for every one of us in this room who is in any sort of leadership position If you are in a leadership position over one person, 
couple people or multitudes of people in your home, in your family, at your work, in this community, you're in any kind of leadership position in this church, regardless of, again, whether you're leading one person or a multitude of people, hear the words of Jesus. He is saying to you right now, do not lord your leadership over those you lead. Do not aggressively assert your authority over them. Jesus is saying to you, lead with love. Lead by serving. Lead, Jesus says, not by asserting yourself over others, but by sacrificing yourself for others. See yourself, Jesus says, as their slave. Now that is a very different view of leadership than the world has and shows that we so often adopt. Things look radically different when leaders today lead according to these words from Jesus. And I can already hear some people thinking, I mean, sounds good, but that's preposterous practically. Well, you can't lead that way. See yourself as others' slave? Like, that's crazy. Well, it is pretty crazy. And it leads to the last reason Jesus came, according to Mark 10, 45, and this one takes the cake. This one is just over the top. This one almost feels blasphemous to say. But I'm going to say it because Jesus said it. So here it is, the fifth reason Jesus came. Hear this in your life. Jesus came to be your servant, to be your slave. For even the Son of Man came, he says, not to be served, but to serve. And the word for serve here literally means to wait on tables. So get this, when Jesus is looking for a word to describe why he came to you and me, he says, I came to wait on you. Think about that. You go to a restaurant, somebody comes to you at your table and asks, how can I help you? What can I get you? How can I serve you? Jesus says, that's why I came to say that to you. How can I help you? What can I get you? I am your servant. Jesus says this. God in the flesh says this to you. This is lunacy. No religious teacher talks like this. This sounds crazy to us until we realize this is not crazy. This is Christianity. This is Christ. Jesus did not come as some potentate whose personal whims are to be catered to by lowly servants. Jesus came to be the lowly servant of you and me. Jesus told his followers then, he's telling his followers today, right now, that he did not come, follow this, so that we might serve him. He came to serve us. Jesus is saying, in my relationship with you, I am the servant. I serve you. I work for you. I wait on you. Doesn't that sound almost blasphemous? But it's not just here. Think about Philippians 2. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a what? A servant. Like a slave being born in the likeness of man. Now, let's be clear what the Bible doesn't mean when it calls Jesus our servant. The Bible doesn't mean that we tell Jesus whatever we want him to do and he automatically does it. That's what James and John were trying to do in Mark 10. Give us what we want. Jesus was not their servant in that way. He's not our servant in that way. That would be a perversion of what Jesus is saying here. This doesn't mean that there isn't a sense in which we are servants of Jesus. We see that at other points in scripture. Paul repeatedly calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus. Disciples are in a sense servants of Jesus. But Follow what Jesus is saying here in Mark chapter 10 because this is in many ways the essence of Christianity. And I'm convinced so many Christians miss it in our daily lives. Think about it. How does someone become a Christian? 
how do you become a follower of Christ? The Christian life begins at the moment you and I, you or I, stop trying to serve God and we trust God to serve us. Christian life begins at the moment when you realize you have sin in your heart against God and there's no amount of good you can do to cover over that. No matter how many times you go to church, read the Bible, pray, live a moral life, show kindness to others, do good works, on and on and on and on. You do all these things in your life, you still can't cover over the stain of sin in your heart before God, which means you need God to do something for you. You need God to serve you. You need God to cover over that stain of sin. You need God to forgive you of your sin, to free you from sin. You need God to serve you in this way. And Jesus says, that's why I came, not to be served by you, but to serve you. So if you have never asked God to serve you in that way, I invite you to do that today. Please, if you're visiting with us, friends, family members, just exploring Christianity, whatever whatever you may be, like hear and believe this good news today. God has brought you here today because he wants to serve you. God wants to serve you. He wants to forgive you of all your sin, to free you from slavery to it, to give you eternal life with him. That's why Jesus came, and today you can do what some people stood across this gathering last week and did. You can ask Jesus to serve you, to save you from your sin, and he will. He wants to serve you today. And then, get this, and Christians all across this, get this, this is so key to Christianity. Once you ask Jesus to serve you in this way, to save you from your sin, you don't then move on from needing to be served by Jesus. No, the Christian life becomes a life of daily being served by Jesus, on being served by us. If he didn't let himself be served by us, then he would die. So get that picture in your mind, because you just said earlier in this chapter, Mark 10, 15, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This is Christianity. This is the heart of Christianity. Jesus did not come in search of servants who would help him out. That's not Christianity. Christ came to serve you, and you can't live without him serving you. And it totally misses the point to begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by trusting him to serve you, to save you, but then rising up and trying to live out the Christian life on your own. Don't do it, Mark 10.45 says. Don't do it. Jesus did not come ultimately to be served by you, but to serve you, which Now think about it, it makes sense when you really think about it because everything in the Christian life depends on Jesus serving us. Everything. Think about it, what is prayer? Is prayer not saying, God, I need your help. God, I'm going through this or that. I need your help. Or praying for somebody else. This person, that person is going through this or that. They need your help. Prayer is asking God to serve us. Asking God to help us in these ways. Wait on us in these ways. And God has told us to do that. God actually delights in us doing that. He said, ask me to serve you in this way and I will give you everything you ask in my name according to my will. How about reading and understanding the Bible? We can't do that on our own, can we? We need God's spirit to help us understand the Bible. So whenever we open it, we ask God to serve us, help us understand it. Think about different facets of your life. I think about parenting conversations that Heather and I have nonstop, every night. Just laying there, looking up, and they all end with the, Same conclusion, God help us. I pray, I pray all the time for Heather and my kids. I just plead, God, please help me to be the best dad, the best husband possible for them. And truth be told, I pray for you the same way. Praying this morning, like, 
I don't know how to be a good pastor for you. I plead for God's help to make me pastor you need me to be. I think about decisions where I'm just pleading for God's wisdom. I think about struggles where I'm just pleading for God's grace. Like I need God to serve me all day long. And so do you. At which point some might say, yep, this is the problem with Christianity. Christianity is for the weak. Christianity is for those who need a crutch, can't do it on their own. Some might even think, I don't need God to serve me. I get up early every morning. I work hard all day at my job. I provide, I care for my family. I make all kinds of decisions. I do all kinds of good things. And I don't doubt that you do. Let me ask you a question. Where did you get the breath to wake up in the morning? And who provides the food and water to get you through the day? And where did you get that ability to work hard? And who made it possible for you to have a family? Ladies and gentlemen, there's not one person in this gathering today who is self-sufficient. Every person in this gathering today is ultimately God-dependent. Even if you hate God, the reality is your very breath at this moment comes from the very one you hate. Every one of us needs God to serve us. And a relationship with God begins with realizing that. And then it continues moment by moment, day by day, with that realization. And the great news of the Bible is that God desires to do this for you. This is the mammoth meaning of Christian. Jesus came to serve you. Jesus came to take away all your sin, help you in all your struggles. Think about it, in all your struggles with sin, like Jesus right now, and today and this week wants to serve you. In all your struggles with worry, Jesus wants to serve you. In all your struggles with anger and lust and envy and pride and fear and apathy and selfishness, I could go on and on. No matter what you're struggling with, Jesus, the one who has all power over all sin and all temptation, is saying to you today, I came, I am here to serve you. And then you think about your struggles with suffering. When you face disappointment or even depression, Jesus is your servant. He wants to serve you joy and hope. When you face pain and grief, Jesus wants to serve you with peace and comfort. Jesus is with you to serve you in that moment, in that doctor's office, when you get that diagnosis that you never could have imagined hearing. In that moment, know this. Jesus is your servant. He's there to wait on you, to help you. I think about but this is Christianity, not just that Jesus saved this brother and sister from their sin, but that Jesus is with this brother and sister right now as their servant. That's Christianity. Jesus is your servant in every circumstance that this life brings you. And be sure of this, every single follower of Jesus within the sound of my voice, be sure of this. There is coming a day when you will breathe your last breath. You don't know when. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be years from now. But you don't know when, but you, you can know this. In that moment, when you breathe your last breath, the king who conquered death will be there to serve you and to usher you into eternal life with him. This is the incredible news of the Bible. Jesus came to suffer like you. He came to die instead of you. He came to free you from slavery to sin. He came to show you how to love, and Jesus came to be your servant. So look to him and love and worship him in that way every moment of every day. Jesus is your servant. Let's pray. Oh God, oh Jesus, we praise you for this truth. It is breathtaking to even think about. 
and then to think that it's a reality right now. You're saying to every one of us that you came to serve us. God, I just I pray that these words would soak in deeply into individual hearts right now. No matter what people are going through, they would have their spiritual eyes opened at this moment to see you, Jesus, saying, I came to serve you. God, I pray that today, even right now, as we respond to this word, that you would bring some people to be served by you for the first time in relationship with you, to be saved from their sin, trust in you to cover over the stain of sin in their heart. God, I pray for that reality to happen today. And then, God, I pray that in our lives, in my life, that you would teach us what it means to be served by you moment by moment, to live with dependence on you serving us with everything we need. We praise and love you, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, name of Jesus, our servant. Amen. Ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.